Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy some good food, time with the family. Amen. Uh, before we get started, um, I did just want to quickly make mention of a few things um, in our time just to be praying for. Uh, maybe some of you heard about uh, the attack that happened in Egypt um, the other day uh, at the mosque, um, 300, I believe, and 25 uh, lives lost. Um, and just want to be praying for them and their, their families and, and the community over there. Uh, obviously, they don't worship the same God that we do, but they are created in the image of God nonetheless uh, and deserving of our prayers. Uh, and so just be mindful to be praying for them as well as what's happening in Libya um, with what looks to be uh, a modern slave trade and auction that's been happening uh, over there. And so praying for our brothers and sisters and, and hoping that uh, a number of things that are going on there can be rectified. Amen. 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 Why don't you stand with me uh, and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through uh, 21. I'm going to make a promise that most preachers make when they get up to preach that I won't be long before you today, and <laughs> hopefully I can make good on that promise. Amen. Um, Matthew chapter 14. Uh, the 13th verse going down to verse 21. If you have it, say amen. 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 Uh, if you don't have it, it's up on the screen, so just go ahead and join us. Uh, I'm going to get us started, then you guys jump in uh, and read down to verse 21. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Jump in. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. Amen. The title of our text this morning is Following Jesus to a Desolate Place. Following Jesus to a Desolate Place. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful, Lord. Uh, I know this is the time of year when there is an emphasis on thankfulness, but God, we are thankful each and every day for your mercy towards us and your grace upon us. We are thankful for many things, God, one of them being that we get to gather 
without fear of persecution and being killed. We get to open our Bibles whenever we want to read your word and to hear from you and to be drawn into deeper relationship. We don't have to hide in underground churches. We don't have to be hidden away in closets in people's homes. We don't have to not gather out of fear for being taken in by the state or being murdered because of our faith, God. But that is not the case for those in other places in the world. And so, Father, we are thankful that we've been blessed in this way. In this way. Help us to take advantage of the fact that we do enjoy a semblance of freedom that allows us to worship you freely. God, we also pray for those who are in different places in the world who have experienced the devastation of extremism and attack because of who they worship. Even though it's not you, God, you still utilize things and people and places to draw those who don't know you into a saving relationship with you. And so we don't know how, but in some way, God, we pray that that those who have experienced such trauma through these massacres would experience your grace and might see you clearly, that some sort of aid might come their way, that you might send in people to share the good news and the hope of a gospel and life everlasting that comes only through relationship with Jesus Christ, and that someday somebody might be able to testify that even though they experienced the horrific nature of sin and devastation and brokenness, it was through those events that you saved them. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today. For we are in desperate need. I am in desperate need. As a people, we are in desperate need of you. And we thank you, God, that you're a compassionate God, one whose mercies endure forever. Father, speak to us this morning in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. (laughs) Following Jesus to a desolate place. I may be by myself, but have you ever just felt like, you know, being a good Christian should reward you some extra blessings, a few extra benefits? Maybe it's just me, but I do have the feeling that all of us have a little bit of health wealth and prosperity gospel in, 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 in our hearts. There, there are some times where, you know, I, I, I get up in the morning and, and I think to myself, man, Lord, I've been following you a whole lot better than these other people. <laughs> and for some strange reason, this intimate father-son relationship that I'm supposed to have with you seems not to be benefiting me right now in the short term. I look out into the world at all of those people who seem to have more riches, more financial stability, who don't seem to have as much conflict in their families, who aren't struggling with the difficulties and challenges of a body ridden with health issues people out in the world who aren't following you that aren't having trouble getting pregnant, people out in the world who aren't following you that seem to just be doing good in life, and I ask myself sometimes, God, what am I doing wrong? I thought this relationship with you was supposed to provide me a little bit extra. I I know you don't play favorites, but I assume that maybe sometimes, you know, It's not considered playing favorites when some people are your people and some people ain't your people. 
And for some strange reason, for a believer, you still experience a lot of what everybody else experiences. Instability in life. Difficulty on the job. A strained relationship in your marriage. Children who have gone wayward from the Lord. The loss and pain and difficulty of losing a loved one. All of these things that you think sometimes you should be exempt from because you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you regularly hear about this loving, caring God who who provides for his children, but it doesn't seem like you're getting the big end of the stick. To be honest, sometimes following Jesus seems to make situations even more difficult. It's like, you know, I I, I see that this is already difficult enough, but if I choose to do things the way that God wants them to be done, it seems like they're only going to get worse before they get better. Every once in a while, following Jesus will take you to a place that you never expected you would be with more problems than you had when you started following him. It's kind of where we find ourselves in this text, this passage in Matthew chapter 14. It's interesting that this miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle in all of the Gospels that is accounted for or shared in each one of the Gospels. Where Matthew records it, Mark records it, Luke records it, and even John records it. It's the only one. And what's interesting and even helpful about that is as you read through the different narratives of this particular story, you find different details that didn't exist in one that exist in the other that help you to get a fuller picture. As I was reading through these narratives, I was reminded very much so of my wife and I and how oftentimes she gets annoyed with me because I don't get all the information that I'm supposed to get when I talk to somebody. I see the wives looking at me with a smile because they know exactly what I'm talking about. A friend from out of town comes into town and I say, hey babe, you know, I saw so-and-so from out of town. And she's like, why are they here? I don't know, I didn't ask. Why do I need to ask? They here, they doing good, I saw them, amen. Hey, babe, did you know so-and-so was in the hospital? Why are they in the hospital? I-, I don't know. They added a hospital now. I didn't ask. Everything all right? <laughs> in a similar fashion, you get that sometimes, where some, uh, some of the narratives in certain books of the Bible add more detail than other books of the Bible simply because they're coming from a different perspective. They have a different focus of why they're sharing that information. And here in Matthew, he is solely focused on showing the messianic side of Jesus, that he is Yeshua, the Messiah that is to come. And so he doesn't feel the need to share all of the information. Nonetheless, uh, we find ourselves here, uh, which brings me to my first point. Following Jesus doesn't exempt you from having needs. Following Jesus doesn't exempt you from having needs. Look Look with me at verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard about it, he, was, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place or a desolate place to be alone. And when the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot 
from the towns. Now, it's interesting, Matthew's narrative strikes a kind of a melancholy tone. The implication of Jesus withdrawing to a desolate place could have been for a number of, of different uh, reasons. There were a number of different things going on. If you look in the other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, uh, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the synoptic gospels. If you look at uh, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that right before this interaction of him feeding the 5,000, he had sent out the 12 disciples to do uh, quite a bit of ministry. And he had commissioned them for ministry, and he says to them, uh, I want you to go out. You're going to heal the sick. I've given you authority to heal the sick. I've given you authority to cast out demons. I don't want you to take any money with you. I don't want you to take any extra clothes with you. I want you to go out and do these things. If they reject you, go ahead and leave, right? And so some of the Gospels, or Mark and Luke in particular, tell us that, that when Jesus had withdrawn, it was right after the disciples had come back to him and were sharing with him all of the great and miraculous things that they had an opportunity to do as they ministered to these other communities of people that they were sent out to minister to. Now, it's interesting that in Mark, you would think that there's nothing there or that a long time has passed because you see, just, you see Jesus sending out the 72 all the way back in chapter 10. And there's a lot that happens in between. So Jesus and Mark sends out the 12 in chapter 10. And then between chapters 10 and 14, Jesus is teaching a lot of parables. And he has a lot of interactions with the religious leaders. And he's getting into a lot of conflicts and a lot of arguments. And so now we get to the point where Jesus is withdrawing because there are a number of things happening to him. And he's going into, or, or this is the end of his uh, public ministry. And he's now going into a private season of ministry to prepare his disciples. The disciples have been sent off to minister to all of these people. They are being trained for ministry. Jesus is doing something very specific where he is preparing them for what their life and ministry is going to be like when he leaves. He, know he knows that there's a time coming where he will no longer be there, and he wants to give them some on-the-ground training to help prepare them for when he's no longer in their presence. But not only that, Jesus has been, the, the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders has been on a constant uh, uh, incline to the point where Jesus is like, okay, I need to back up a little bit. I'm not just going to be fighting with y'all all day until I go to the cross. Not only that, but right before this passage, we see that, that Herod has a flashback where he's thinking on the fact that he had just beheaded John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And so you have this whirlwind of things happening where Jesus is training the disciples for ministry. He's in regular conflict with the religious leaders. His cousin, uh, whom he was close to, you could say that they would have been sister churches if they had started churches uh, because of the similarities in their ministry and, what they were, uh, and how they were joined together in ministry in such a way had just been killed, and, and, and also that before Jesus ever present in his view was the fact that he was on his way to a gruesome death. And so we get here in this passage, it says, Jesus, after hearing these things that Herod had heard about his ministry and wanted to see him, said, you know what, Let, it's time for me to back up. It's time for me to withdraw. Over in Luke, the disciples come back, and it says that they are coming back excited, and Jesus says, okay, you've had a busy time of ministry. It'd be good for you to take a break from all these people and go get some rest. I think there are a lot of things we can learn about Jesus when we get into difficult, busy seasons of our life that there is a much-needed place for rest. He said they needed rest because it seemed like there were people coming in and out of their presence regularly, and they had not had a break. And so he says, come away with me to a desolate place. 
Luke tells us that that desolate place is Bethsaida, a small fishing town in the northern corner of the Sea of Galilee. A, f- a small fishing community, not many people there, but, but a place where uh, 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 they could go nonetheless. And it says that they went there by boat to a remote place. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. Now, you can imagine how tired Jesus would be with no matter where he goes, everybody always following him. I don't know how many of you have kids. I love my kids. But every once in a while, I need a break from my kids. You know, I, ha- I love my house, but I don't have anywhere in my house where I can escape my kids. And so, if I go into the bedroom and close the door, I know I won't be up there for two minutes before I hear a on the door, or even a on, on the door. But every once in a while, it's good to get to a place where you can quiet your soul before the Lord. Even Jesus, the God-man, after difficult seasons of ministry, when things were too busy, after he had done a lot of healing, a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching, he made a regular habit of getting away from people so that he could be with God. Could you imagine how good your time would be with the Lord if you turned off your notifications? If it wasn't so easy just to flip from your Bible app to Facebook. If you didn't want to show people that you were in your Bible by having to post on social media that you were in your Bible. (laughs) If it was just quiet and it was just you and the Lord. But you know, I, 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 I often think that sometimes we're afraid of the silence because we're really afraid of what God might tell us about ourselves. We're a little hesitant to hear what God really wants us to do with our lives, with our ministries. And so we have this constant background noise in our souls that keeps us just a little bit too much distracted. Nonetheless, he tells the disciples, like, let's, let's go away to a desolate place, to a remote place. The crowds hear this, obviously, and they're like, well, we're not going to let Jesus just get away like that, so let's follow him. It says that they followed him on foot. Jesus went by boat. It says that the crowds followed him by foot. They were so in need of what Jesus had to offer. They said, we'll go by foot and meet him there. Now, these weren't just any regular crowds, obviously. We know that this is a group of at least 5,000 because it, the, 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 the narrative is the feeding of the 5,000. That, that large group may have been there because uh, uh, Luke tells us that this was right around the time of the Passover. And so many people were on their way uh, from their respective towns down to Jerusalem for the Passover. But not only that, it also could have been because uh, John the Baptist had just been killed and they were looking for another religious teacher to take his place. And so there were possibly a number of different reasons why the road was so busy, why there was such a large crowd that was following Jesus. But either way, we see Jesus having withdrawn uh, to this desolate town called Bethsaida where a large crowd was waiting for him. And what it tells us in verse 14 is that he went ashore, he saw this large crowd, and then it says that he had compassion on them. This is a... 
It's a very interesting word, this word compassion. It means to be deeply moved in your bowels, in your, in your inner being. It's a word that here is only used of Jesus in the synoptic gospels. This word compassion, it lets us know that outside of the original parables, there is no instance of the word that's being used of men. It, always, it is always used to describe the attitude of Jesus, and it characterizes the divine nature of his acts. Jesus is theologically characterized here as the Messiah in whom the divine mercy is present. In each case we have of this, the use of this word, as in uh, Matthew and Mark, a messianic characterization of Jesus rather than mere depiction uh, of emotion. What this means is that when the word compassion is used here only to describe Jesus, it is not talking about just merely the extent of his emotional response. It's talking about the fact that compassion is a part of his divine character. Compassion is a part of the divine character of who God is. That means Jesus, when he saw this large crowd, and it says he was moved to compassion because of who he is, Jesus looked out on this crowd, and he saw their brokenness. He saw why they were coming to him. He saw that they were in need. He saw that there were some who needed to have demons uh, dispossessed from their body. There were some who had brokenness in their limbs that needed to be healed. There were some whose sickness had ravaged their entire bodies, and they were coming to Jesus because they believed that he could do something about it, and he looked on them with compassion. Because he could see how all of this brokenness not just affected them, but affected their way of life. There were some who could not go into the temple to worship because of how their bodies had ravaged them. There were some who couldn't take care of their families because of what was going on with them. Could you imagine that state of brokenness? Maybe some of you in here today are in that same place of brokenness where the difficulty and the, 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 the derailment of life has just put you in a place where you can't even experience all that God wants you to experience in life because you're so broken. Here the Bible says that God is a God of compassion. He sees you. He sees the real you. And the real you, despite what you might think about how everybody else will respond, the real you does not scare him. He's a God of compassion. It says that he had compassion on them and He healed their sick. Mark tells us that he healed their sick, and and he also began teaching. The great thing that I love about Jesus is that Jesus always takes advantage of a good opportunity, meaning that he, he loved the curiosity that people had about him. Jesus allowed people to come close so that they could ask him hard questions. 
Jesus allowed people to come close so that they could really try him out and see if he was the Messiah or not. Jesus allowed people to come close because he knew that if people came close because they were curious about who he was, that he would have the opportunity to share the good news of the kingdom of heaven with them. Verse 15, it says that when evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Or the, the, the dinner time, the time for the evening meal had already passed. And it said that they said to him, send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, what's interesting over in, in Luke that he records that this conversation is initiated between Jesus and Philip. And then Simon comes in later uh, and, and tells Jesus that he was the one who found the, the fish and the loaves. What's interesting about that is that Philip uh, and Andrew and Peter were all from Bethsaida. This is where they grew up. This is where their hometown was. Luke records that Jesus went to Philip and said, where can we get them something to eat? Now, he says that directly to Philip because this is Philip's lay of the land. He knows, what, he knows that Philip knows if they needed to go get something to eat, Philip would know where to go get it from. So he asked Philip, where are we going to get something to eat? Then Luke says that Jesus did this because he knew what he was going to do. It's interesting that even in the midst of a familiar surrounding, that those who were from this place, Bethsaida, were in an unfamiliar circumstance. They were in the familiar place of their home where they grew up, and yet they were in an unfamiliar circumstance, meaning that they didn't know how to get the resources that they needed, even though they knew where to get the resources that they needed. Because remember, they're in a desolate place. The size of the crowd would have been too much for the small villages around to send everybody to try to get them something to eat. It would have been the equivalent of Black Friday at the fish market. Some of y'all are still crazy enough to go out there Friday morning, Thursday evening for some of y'all, but I ain't going to say nothing about that. But it's interesting, their response, which brings me to my second point. Not only does being in a relationship with Jesus not exempt you from having needs, but our needs always look bigger than our God. It's interesting that before this passage, Jesus sends out the 12 to heal the sick, to cast out the demons, to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven to the poor. And yet they come here, having just been so excited about all that they had been able to do for the kingdom of God, and they get here, and for some reason, they don't think that they can feed 5,000. They've already performed miracles. They've been performing miracles, and yet they get here, and this is too much for them. So they say, they say in verse, uh, in verse 15, this place is deserted. It is already too late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the village and buy food 
for yourself. Look at the needs that are present in this passage. People are coming to Jesus with sickness and other physical ailments. They are hungry and left with nowhere to go for food in a desolate place. The disciples are unconvinced that they can help this large number of people. There are these needs that aren't being met, this challenge that is being, they're being faced with. They don't know what to do. And for some reason, they know that they can't go anywhere for food. There's not enough. There's too much people. The only person around them is God, and they still want to send the people away because the problem is too big in their eyes for God. Have you ever been there? Ever convinced yourself that God can't help you with this? I know you're God. I know you've done it before for me, but for some reason, this just seems a little bit out of your league. And even if you don't tell yourself that, you functionally begin to solve the problem on your own because you don't trust God to handle it. So instead of going to God and saying, God, what are we going to do? They say, we can't feed these people, let's send them somewhere else so it's somebody else's problem and concern. So Jesus says they don't need to go away. And he told them, you, you give them something to eat. I can only imagine being Philip Andrew or Peter or one of the other disciples and looking at 5,000 people and saying, well, I don't know how y'all going to eat. I don't got food for everybody. You know, that's like having a dinner party and inviting certain people and then they invite somebody else that you didn't invite and that you didn't cook food for. And now you got to share your food. And everybody gets smaller portions? Oh, maybe I'm the only one that's, okay, all right, all right. So he says, you give them something to eat. Verse 17, but we only have five loaves and two fish. The fish would have been uh, dried or pickled fish, something small that they could have carried or traveled with. The bread was actually, uh, I think Mark lets us know that this was barley bread. It was bread for that, that poor people ate. It wasn't wheat bread, that something that was uh, uh, more inclined to be had by those who were a little bit more well-to-do or well-off. Uh, over in John chapter 6, uh, Jesus, or not Jesus, one of the disciples says to Jesus, even if we had enough money, we still wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. If we had 200 denarii, it would have taken us eight months to work for it, and we still wouldn't have enough to feed all these people. What do you expect us to do? So not only do, does being in relationship, closeness with Jesus, not exempt you from having needs, and not only does when you have those needs, 
it often looks like it's too much for your God to take care of. When that happens, what do you do? When your expectations of God haven't been met, when you feel like he hasn't met his end of the bargain because your needs are so great, and you feel like this shouldn't happen to you because you've been faithfully following him, and then you get discouraged because you don't think that God really can handle it or that he even cares, what do you do? Here's what you do. You believe God for leftovers. Look with me. He says, it says, but we only have five loaves and two fish here. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Notice how the disciples had to play an active role in participating in what God was doing before the crowds got the fish and the loaves. It passed through the hands of the disciples. He made them participate in what he was doing. The very men who two lines ago were saying, What are we going to do? We don't have the resources. We don't know where to send them. There's no way we can feed the crowds. And every time Jesus reaches into the basket and pulls out more bread and pulls out more fish, he makes their hands touch it. He makes their eyes see it. He makes them give it out to somebody else. And they keep going back. Where are we getting this bread from? Where are we getting this fish from? Man, we just fed 1,000. Man, we just fed 2,000. Man, we just fed 3,000. I done lost track of how many we fed, and we still got more left over the minute you start to disbelieve God of what he can do is the minute he will make you participate so that you remember that he is God I, I, I love Thanksgiving I, I it's it's probably my favorite holiday I love Thanksgiving, and I hate when people try to rush me past celebrating Thanksgiving. (laughs) I'm specifically talking to you, Christmas people. (laughs) But but I, I love Thanksgiving not even for eating the food. I see I I love to cook. I love, like, I love it. I look forward to Thanksgiving because I love spending multiple days in the kitchen, unbothered, with my 90s music on, in my zone, just getting busy. <laughs> one of the reasons that I, I love to cook so much is because, it, one, one, it's therapeutic, right? But two, I love watching people enjoy the food that I've cooked. It does something to my soul. Like it just, it, it fills me with so much joy when I can make people feel good about life through eating good food. A close second to that is when they've so enjoyed the food that I've cooked that they now tell other people about how good it was and now those people want to enjoy the food that I've cooked as well. There's just something about it about giving joy to other people through something that you've labored over. 
that just feels good to you. I believe it's the same thing when, when God does a work in your life. How much do you enjoy it? And then how much do you share it with other people? Does the enjoyment of what God has done for you stop with you? Or does it pass through your hands to somebody else? God, I didn't believe that you were going to do it, but you came through. God, I didn't believe that you were going to heal my body, but you came through. God, I didn't believe that my kids would come back to know you by saving faith, and you came through. God, I didn't believe that my marriage was going to make it, and there were times I wanted to quit, but God, you came through. Is what God is doing in your life reaching other people for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ and for their benefit? You can't sit idly by watching God work on your behalf without becoming an active participant to allow others to experience his goodness because of what he's done for you. Says they broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. He said, everyone ate and was satisfied. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Matthew is the only gospel that makes note of the fact that it wasn't just 5,000 people there. The 5,000 only accounted for the men, but there were women and children there as well. So we're actually looking at upwards of 10,000 or more people being fed by Jesus and the disciples in this incident. Can you imagine that? How long that would take? Not only to feed everybody and make sure that everybody got one helping, but those who were still hungry got two. Because if you remember, the Bible says that they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I don't know about you, but fish doesn't typically fill me up. And so I usually need some leftovers for myself to go in a three or four more times because fish is a little thin. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless God. Y'all know the reason that they give you bread before you eat is so that you can rush through it and not be full. And you can eat a whole bunch of it fast and you're not going to be full till later when the real meal comes. Some bread and fish ain't going to fill me up if I'm hungry. They had already missed the the dinner time meal when they normally would have been eating. They had sat all day waiting for Jesus to go through the crowds and to heal them and then stop and then teach. And then they went through and waited as the fish and the bread was being broken up and being passed out. And the Bible says that they all ate and were satisfied. And not only did they all eat and were they all satisfied, but it says that they ended up picking up 12 full baskets more of food. (laughs) 
I believe Jesus was teaching the disciples here and even teaching us that we have to see the way Jesus sees and not the way that we see. When your resources are depleted, when you think you don't have enough, you still have Jesus. But not only that, I also believe that in this passage we see something very key that is for us to not dismiss what we've already gotten so that we can enjoy the leftovers. The reason that leftovers are leftovers is so that you can bless somebody else with them. But if, if we've been full and we've been satisfied and we forget that God has already given us everything that we need and we only focus on how good the surplus can be and never think about sharing that surplus with somebody else, interesting that uh, you know in, in, in the book of John he writes that after this happened Jesus uh, went across the lake that's where he walks on the water and the crowd they got up in the morning they noticed he wasn't there uh, and they went looking for him saw him on the other side and met him there and then a conversation breaks out where Jesus lets them know, don't get hung up on this multiplication of bread and this multiplication of, low, uh, uh, of fish, lest you think that it's solely about your physical satisfaction. And then they, they, they come to him, it says that, the next day the crowd found him on the other side of the sea. This is John chapter 6. And Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So they say, what can we do to perform the works of God? Jesus replies, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. Their response, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? As if he had not just multiplied 10,000 fish and bread, probably more than that, to feed them so that they were satisfied. This is the same group of people that experienced this miracle from Two, uh, from five loaves and two fish and we're all fed and satisfied and now they have the audacity to ask Jesus what sign he will perform to show them that he is the one sent from God. 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says to him, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Give us this bread always, sir. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. No one, no one. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one, no one who ever believes in me will ever thirst again. Jesus was trying to get it through their thick skulls that me multiplying this bread and fish was simply a preview. It was only a picture. It was only supposed to give you a small glimpse of the fact that this points to me as the bread of life, that I am the one sent from God. I am greater than your manna. I am greater than your Moses. I am greater than your law because everything points to me. So if you want to do the work of the Father, then you believe me. Sometimes following Jesus is difficult because we find ourselves in places that cause us to question his goodness, his character, his mercy, his compassion, his resources. Because for some reason, we have this idea in our minds that we don't have to experience the difficulty of life. For some reason, we think that being in relationship with him means that we won't have any seasons of need or difficulty. People of God, my prayer for us today is that when we have those seasons of great distress in our lives, in our relationships, in our bodies, that we would believe God, that we would believe him, that he is a compassionate God, that is a part of his character, and that we would fight to believe that God doesn't just meet our needs. He always provides for leftovers. But hear me, those leftovers are not just for you. They're not just for you. And when God provides, listen to me, when God provides, don't get stuck on what he gave you. Get stuck on him. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, we thank you that we do experience difficulty in life. Because difficulty makes us needy. And when we're needy, we run to you. That should be the ultimate goal of our destination, is to be with you. Because your word says that in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So Father, help us not to be too discouraged when we experience the difficulties of life, but to know that you are a compassionate God who is there with us 
in it and through us. And that there will come a time where you will meet our needs. If not today, there is a day where every need that we have will be met. And to be honest, the greatest need that we had has already been met. It was met on the cross when Jesus hung his head and breathed his last and bore on his shoulders the sin of the world. And then early on a Sunday morning, he, he got up with all power in his hand and ascended on high so that we might experience right relationship with you, the Father. So every need that we have should be seen in light of the greatest need that we had already being met. Every difficulty, every conflict, every ailment, every loss, help us to see it through the fact that you have already redeemed us, and that we can experience the mercy, the grace, the peace, the love, the comfort, that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes all of our other needs pale in comparison because we know you. Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.